call is being recorded. Hello and welcome to my show, Searching for Integrity. My name really is John Smith, and I'm searching for people with integrity. Why? Because our country suffers from IDD, Integrity Deficit Disorder. We have as our guest today, Deanne O'Donovan, a real estate finance expert who is also the creator of a quarantine board game. She's a CEO of fund management for University Bank in Chicago and publicly held financial institutions. Deanne, are you there? I am here. Great to be with you this morning, John. Well, it's good. I'm kind of wishing I'd be in, in, in Florida myself, but, you know, that's that's okay. You get to do that. I, um, Beautiful here today. Oh, that's great. That's great. We actually did a road trip. We flew into Jacksonville uh, about two, three weeks ago. And um, then we went up into Georgia, uh, South Carolina, North Carolina. We made a 10-day trip out of it. It was fun. And okay. but you're on a, you're on a different different mission. Um, tell us a, a little bit about the, some details, if you will, on the uh, the board game that you've created. Yeah, sure. So it's actually a card game. Um, it's called Quarantine, and I created it um, at the beginning of the pandemic, at the the first national uh, lockdown back in March of 2020. My husband and I had many hours stuck at home, just the two of us, and I've always loved playing trump card games like hearts and spades and euchre, and so I set out to create a trump game for two. Um, So that was the beginning of it, and many hours of test play later, uh, you know, we enlisted some friends and family members to play it with us, and I launched it last fall in time for the holiday season. It did really well. We sold out several runs and donated um, the profits to charity. At the time, I had said I would donate 10% of the profits to charity, but uh, when the time came, I donated all of the profits to charity, and uh, it will be back again for another uh, holiday season this year, um, after which I will likely retire from the game business since it's a bit of a hobby job, but it's been a lot of fun. I understand that. And that's a, that's a good thing. I um, was looking here about quarantine and the players seek to build the biggest and the most efficient hospital, but beware the highly contagious patient patients, geez, infection, infection can spread quickly causing entire wards to be shut down under quarantine. This, 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 this is like a science fiction movie. One we're one we've been watching for the last year. Yeah, I think that might be a different game actually, because my game is a little bit more lighthearted than that. It's really um, so there may be a quarantine board game out there somewhere. Mine is actually a card game, and it's um, intended to be a family-friendly, lighthearted take on the pandemic. So, you know, it's got uh-huh. a special series of trump cards, like face masks and the vaccine and whatnot that you can use to trump other players cards so it's intended to be a little less scary and a little bit more um 
you know, mental relief to feel like you can beat the pandemic one game at a time. Well, my apology. I, uh, no problem. Okay, but it sounds good what you're what you're doing, and um, let's let's turn over to the other part of your life. Uh, the other part of your life, of course, is being uh, a CEO of uh, fund management for University Bank. Yes, so um, that's been a terrific experience as well. Um, both in this role and in my prior CEO role, we also have a social responsibility component there. So um, I'm currently with University Bank. Uh, they're a community bank headquartered in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and have been uh, working with them for the past couple of years to launch um, basically a private mortgage REIT. Um, so, you know, that obviously has the um, components of helping Americans realize the uh, American dream of home ownership. And we also take a socially responsible view for any borrowers who do, um, you know, have payment uh, struggles and, and try very hard to keep them uh, in their homes. And our offering will be opening sometime in 2022 if all goes as planned to third-party investors um, at which time, you know, accredited investors are able to uh, invest in the fund and get a preferred return, generate some nice passive income without having to um, tolerate all of the volatility in the in the public stock market. So uh, we're hopeful that that will be kind of a nice uh, niche for investors who, mm -hmm. you know, either are just looking to generate passive income or are perhaps nearing or in retirement and looking to, you know, generate that income without having to watch the principal value of their stocks go up and down on any given day. Yeah, that they do. The, Indeed. Um, <laughs> whether you want them to or not. Yeah, um, exactly. I, I looked at uh, have looked at, at real estate in the past. I was involved with that as well, and I wonder today, in looking at all the office buildings in New York City, and all of the malls in spread across the country, you know, what what are they going to become? Where are they going to end up in an R R E I T? Um, you know, what do you think? I've it's a great question. Um, I think it's definitely a generational shift in the use of real estate, and I think it will be solved in a number of ways. I think that we're going to have um, some segment of those office buildings that will turn their own vacant properties into, you know, kind of WeWork style shared office space because I do think that the hybrid um, work platform and the work from home really are the future of work, which means that companies are going to need less corporate office space, but a lot of those employees still need a place that they can go to at least part-time, right? When you think about all of the uh, working parents who might have kids at home and need to be able to focus for a big meeting or presentations or client meetings. So I think that will be part of the solution. I also suspect that we'll see a fair amount of office space converted to either condos or um, rental multifamily housing. And when you look at the um, residential housing situation, right, there's been a big run up 
I'm in Tampa, as we talked about before the show. They've had a 33% increase in values over the course of the last year. And one of the reasons for the run-up in house prices is because of the lack of inventory following the um, decrease in new construction starts from the Great Recession. So I think we'll have a nice opportunity to um, see some conversions from office to uh, multifamily housing, and hopefully that'll kind of help help bridge that gap on the affordability issue as well. I read the other day that uh, there was a, apparently a company uh, in Japanese that uh, were on a, on a real buy bench. They were out buying almost everything they can get their hands on. Um, so it's a uh, it's it's a surprise. Uh, they apparently think that uh, the real estate is going to continue to climb in terms of, of, of value that they can trade. Yeah. What do you um, think? Well, I, I agree with that. I mean, I think it's a smart thing. when uh, Whenever a real estate class is out of favor, that's the time to buy because that's the time that you get the real values, right? And then you can do some of those improvement projects um, and value-add projects to get the most out of the investment. So, um, I do think it's a smart time to be taking a look at those asset classes that are a little bit uh, out of favor, such as um, office and, and retail, and look at some creative reuse opportunities for them. You know, we had a, uh, we still have the lot, um, and we sold our house in April, this past April. So my timing was good. Um, however, we were trying to turn ourselves around and begin building another home on the lot. And I began to talk to builders, and my expectations were, you know, so much per foot, like a maximum 150 bucks a foot, and now they're up 300 bucks a foot. Um, and that's a cost. A lot of that is driven by the cost of supplies and the cost of, and if, if supply is going to go up, then all the uh, contractors do the same thing. Absolutely, I think it's a combination of. Commodity prices, which started to moderate during the summer, but have now started to tick up again. And that's where we're seeing some real core inflation along with increased labor costs. So mm -hmm. definitely uh, for new construction at the moment, um, you know, very expensive, especially on the residential side. And that's even assuming that you can get a contractor to do the work. I was talking to somebody yesterday who had a 20-month wait for some work that they wanted to do on their home, uh, which is pretty unprecedented. It is. It is. And and it's the people like us thought that we were going to be you know, building another home, but that wouldn't we couldn't afford it. And inside the the trades themselves, they'll look, you know, the, the plumber will look at the at the lumber costs and say, well, you know, why don't I do that? Uh, and then that just kind of robs the whole thing and puts it to out of reach for me to afford, to afford it, or at least I'm not going to do that. I'll have to wait and try and be patient. Yeah. And I think that you're right. Patience is the right way to go. I, I personally, you know, uh, watch these numbers pretty closely. And I do think that, um, you know, my guess is by the second quarter, we'll start to see a little bit of moderation in um, some of the commodity prices that are driving up those costs. And hopefully we'll start to see labor stabilize as well. Yeah. Ten, uh, gosh, it's more than ten years, probably twelve years now. Back when uh, the credit crisis uh, came into play, 
And uh, I, at that time, would spend my time at the county courthouse here in Texas, first Tuesday of the month. And uh, over a period of, uh, I think it was about eight years, I, uh, I bought on the steps and rehabbed them and sold them, made, made them affordable. And I probably had, gosh, I probably did, I'm just as a sole practitioner, I probably did probably 35, 40. Um, but then today, you know, the only thing about that then was that you could, you could buy all day long, but you couldn't sell anything because your buyers couldn't get mortgages. So that was kind of a cat chasing its tail. Yeah, uh, that's very interesting that, that you did the um, the fix and flip um, and bought them on the county courthouse steps. I mean, um, I think that was a generational buying opportunity, so kudos to you for making the most of it. It's interesting that um, it didn't happen with COVID, and I really think that um, – our government did actually learn something from that prior experience in the, you know, between the foreclosure moratorium and the eviction moratorium and the PPP loans, they really staved off a lot of that um, economic crisis that could have hit people. You know, in, in looking at the, listening to the news about mandates and you can't do this and you can't do that. And you, you kind of look at, at a calendar and say, well, when are they going to do this? And it's kind of like the old uh, play by, you know, who's on first, who's on second, who's on what's going on, you know? Um, the big money of course is, is the interested now. And that was certainly uh, blow me out of the water uh, because mm -hmm. they don't really, they don't really matter what the costs. Exactly. They were buying up whole blocks. I mean, some of those mm -hmm. um, companies like Invitation Homes, they'd come into places like Arizona and Nevada uh, that were very hard hit and buy everything that came up. And you're right, they would uh, outbid the, the, the Main Street buyers. Do you or have you in the past, you're, uh, you're certainly familiar with distressed assets. Um, do you deal in, does your institution deal in REO? You know, um, we actually don't have any. <laughs> um, okay. one of the, one of the great things, um, about working for a community bank and I think university bank in particular has done a great job with this. You know, they really, um, have very conservative underwriting, um, as a community bank, I think they know most of their uh, borrowers, um, or at least many of their borrowers. And, um, you know, uh, on occasion, like everybody, we have a, a troubled asset, but they've been very successful in working with those um, borrowers uh, when they run into difficulties and finding resolutions that allow them, you know, kind of the time and the creativity and the flexibility to um, pay off those loans rather than uh, the bank needing to foreclose. So um, mm -hmm. I set up the special assets group for the bank and we have not had to foreclose on a single asset in the time that I've been there. So pretty impressive. Very impressive. I, um, I guess I need to explain a little bit to my audience here what, what REO is. It's, it's a term um, that banks and financial institutions use for the, taking the property 
to take the loan that's 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 deficient, and then they it becomes part of their own inventory. Real estate owned is what that REO means. Um, have you looked at? I think you have. I read this. Uh, how do you deal with crowdfunding in something like this? Yeah, so I love crowdfunding. I think it's the it fills a terrific um, place for the you know kind of small and emerging um, businesses. It's and for you know those listeners who are not familiar with crowdfunding, it's basically another term for a private placement offering. So rather than going to a bank or going to uh, the capital markets and issuing stock and going through public offering. Um, it's a way to um, access capital, typically equity capital, but not always, um, to help small businesses grow. And so um, I'm familiar with both Regulation A crowdfunding, which is open to non-accredited investors, and Regulation D crowdfunding, which is open only to accredited investors. Accredited investors are high net worth individuals, which are defined by the SEC as, you know, basically people who make over 200000 a year if they're single, 300000 if married, or have a net worth of at least a million dollars excluding their home. And so it can be a really great way for private investors to access real estate, real estate transactions um, that they wouldn't otherwise have access to, right? So you know, you, you and I may not go out and buy an office building or a retail strip mall or an apartment building or, you know, go out and buy 20 mortgages and earn income off the debt. But through crowdfunding, it really allows um, private investors to diversify their portfolios away from the stock market and away from, you know, bonds. I, I view, you know, um, a lot of those investments is a great opportunity to fill that real estate allocation in a private investor's portfolio, which depending on the um, financial advisor that you talk to will tell you should be somewhere between five and 15% of your portfolio. So I think for many people, it's a great opportunity for that piece of your portfolio. And then also for the yield component in the portfolio, because interest rates are at historic lows. So you know, none of us are getting much in our CDs and in bond portfolios these days. What do you think about the new federal billionaire tax? Are you surprised? You know, um, I am not totally surprised. I think it's a good idea. I mean, anyone who pays attention to you know, the tax situation in this country knows that those with the most um, wealth pay the least in taxes, which is fundamentally unfair. So I do think that, you know, this administration's effort to create a little bit more fairness in the tax code is a good idea. And, and I also agree that it's a, it's a bad time to, um, you know, tax the, uh, you know, moderate earners, the middle class, and even the upper middle class, because we're in a period of rising inflation and indications are slightly slower in growth. And the Fed is getting ready to tighten monetary policy, which you would think is also going to create potentially a little bit of 
slow down um, in our growth. So rather than putting tax on people at a time when their dollar is not stretching as far, going after those really high income um, and very ultra high net worth individuals and asking them to kind of pay more on a societal basis, I, I think is fair. What do you think about it, John? Well, it's been talked about for a long, long time. Uh, my my issue with it is that it's it, it's probably not going to be um, the money's not going to go where the money ought to go. It mm-hmm. it's going to end up doing something different, something unexpected, and it basically will take the legs out from under it. Uh, that's what I think. But we'll have to wait and see. I agree. Um, I agree with everything that you said there. I think it's a realist view based on, um, you know, past past attempts to do similar things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, once upon a time, um, I was involved in the savings and loan crisis. And uh, actually, I'm an author, by the way. And um, I, my book is called Embracing the Abyss. And the book blurb on the front cover says a true story of unknowingly becoming part of a fraud scandal, receiving a presidential pardon, and being surprised by a spiritual awakening. And I'm the guy with the presidential pardon. Very neat. I'll check out your book. Embracing the Abyss. Um, and I, it brought this, I brought it up because I, one of the things that I saw in the material was loan trading. Um, can you describe a little more of that? Because the, the, the people that did loan trading in the seventh and loan crisis, they basically would, would swap entire portfolios, uh, and, and, and claim that, you know, my, 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 my dogs don't have fleas, um, and, they, and everybody go, yeah, sure. You know, that's why you traded it away. Um, so there was a loan trading, loan trading then. Yeah, very interesting uh, connection in our backgrounds. So my um, loan trading uh, background um, is really, again, more on the social responsibility side. So the focus was in buying non-performing loans, typically in low to moderate income areas, and then working with the um, homeowner slash borrower to restructure that debt if they wanted to stay in their home to make it more affordable. So we would pass on some of the savings um, in the principal balance that we purchased the loan for. So let's say that the principal balance of the loan was $100,000 and we bought it for $40,000. You know, we might offer the borrower depending on the value of the home and their circumstances, you know, we might write that balance down to, you know, 60 or 70,000, um, restructure the interest rate and take their payments down substantially if they wanted to stay in the home. And if they didn't want to stay in the home, we would typically try to find a cooperative solution such as a deed in lieu of foreclosure or a consent foreclosure and then waive the shortfall um, so that they could kind of get out from under that debt and start rebuilding their credit. So we weren't, you know, trading debt to, um, you know, we w- would sometimes do short-term trades if there was a profit opportunity there, but in general, mm-hmm. we were buying the debt and working with the borrower 
Um, and then, you know, that company was crowdfunded. And so then we were also able to pay a nice yield um, to our investors as well. So it was kind of a win-win-win, right? Good for the borrower, good for mm -hmm. us, the lender holding the credit, and good for our investors. So mm -hmm. the attempt was to create sort of a, a virtuous uh, financial circle there. Well, I, I'm going to ask you now if you would tell my audience how to get in touch with you. Absolutely. So a few ways that they can get in touch. Um, LinkedIn is often the best way, so um, they should feel free to reach out and send me a request on LinkedIn. Um, I check that and respond pretty quickly. And if they are interested um, in quarantine, the card game, they can find that on Etsy or on my website at winnie.game. Well, thank you for being our guest today. Uh, it's been uh, uh, it's been informative. Now that now that I struck the right chord, I guess I should say, um, and it was uh, good to hear. It's good to talk to someone that has your experience and uh, your know how, uh, and people should be grateful for people like you. John, it was my uh, pleasure. Thank you so much. Well, I'm uh, uh, thanking my listeners now for tuning in to Searching for Integrity. So long and happy trails to all.